Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'm taking a look. I'm seeing where people are looking in, listening in from. And the reason I do this romper room moment is because it's Thursday morning here in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKodesh, the Holy Land. And um, I think that the date is, as we are speaking with you live, it is the 7th of December, 2023. Um, I think it's the 62nd day of the war. We'll make any corrections as we need as we go along. I mention it because tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. The first night this year of Hanukkah. And today's show, please God, will serve to remind us that despite the weightiness of what is happening outside of our windows, whether we live here in Eretz Israel or we live in London, in Denmark, in New York, in California, Canada, the dangers are real. But I beg you, I beg you, do not fear the darkness. Address it. And we will start addressing it tonight with one small candle. Boketov, good morning, good night. Listening in from the United States of America, listening in. Let's just see here. We don't want all these things beeping today, right? We don't want to have everything beeping here. They're listening in from the U.S. Canada is with us this morning. Eretz Israel. A good day. A strong day. A clear day. Jamaica is with us. Germany is with us this morning. South Africa is listening in. Spain and Australia. Good morning, Spain. We haven't seen you guys in a while. Very good that you're here. Um, let's see. Getting down to, let me just get some business out of the way. Please, God, I will be, I'm expected to be visiting, you know, with the Israeli list of all the places you're not supposed to go. Please, God, I will be in Johannesburg, visiting Johannesburg for the next two weeks until uh, at least the 24th of December. My husband didn't find it funny when I said I'll be home in time to trim the tree. He didn't find that humorous. Anyway, um, I will be there until the 24th of December. If you wish to have me address a synagogue group, any kind of faith group, youth, youth group, women's organization, whatever it is, please drop me a note, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and we can try and make it happen in Johannesburg over the next two weeks. Um, yeah, and I have gotten notes, Andrea, we want to help, we want to do, obviously, if you're writing from, you know, Manhattan or Atlantic Beach, Long Island, you can't go and pick avocados. Nevertheless, okay, nevertheless, there are a lot of very, very holy organizations, holy work going on. Um, if you need to know where you should be directing some financial resources, throw it to me, send me a note. But I will say 
that um, one of the holiest organizations to ever grace the face of this blessed country is an organization called Zaka. Z-A-K-A in English. Google it. Look it up. They're the search and rescue volunteers locating. They are doing the holiest work, locating every ounce of human remains to give proper Jewish burials. Most, the great majority of the Zaka workers are what is um, unceremoniously referred to as ultra-Orthodox Jews, and their work is beyond description. There's plenty of videos and interviews of the Zaka jobs and really a very worthwhile organization. Okay. We all see the same stuff. Anybody who loves Israel, cares, aches for the Jewish people, you know. We're seeing the same videos as I am and getting the same messages and the same upbeat memes, real clear, you know. And yet how often are we just preaching to the masses as we sit this morning at the cusp of Hanukkah. I'm reminded of, I went to dinner with family last night. We went to somebody's house and we had a kind of an Erev Hanukkah dinner because I knew that I wasn't going to be here for the entire Chag. Not the entire Chag, but most of the Chag. And um, we were talking. And one of the things, we are so politically diverse in this family. <laughs> you know why? Because we're Jews. Different feelings, different heartbeats, although we are all observant um, in this particular family, we have very, very different political views. Um, we struggled. We struggled over the Parsha, the chapter of the releasing of the hostages. Um, we all have friends who had hostage children. So it was really fascinating last night that we all came together with the realization that as bleak as some days are appearing, as hopeless as it can feel, what are we to know about Hanukkah if not to understand that at the time, at the date of the decimation of the holy base Hamigdash, it was over. What Jews would remain? What was it all for? The keeping of the laws and our defying those who would rid us of our customs and our halacha, our Jewish law, and tear away our holy Torah, stick it on a shelf along with the New Testament, the Koran, the Bhagavad Gita. And as bleak and hopeless as it appeared, we are here today. Am Yisrael Chai. The Jewish people live. 
עם אחד, לב אחד, one nation, one heart. Oh, we've been here before. Instead of shuddering, shuddering in despair and the hopelessness of it all, we have a choice, an attitude choice. We can say it's hopeless, it's so bleak, it's so terrible. Oh, they're all against us. Chapter 107. Or we can gasp, gasp, and shudder, and laugh with the reality that God has kept us. His promises again and again and again. Emuna, faith, is not an object from your local automat. What was it? Horn and hard rock? Automat? You could choose the macaroni and cheese. You could get the tomato soup. One from column A, one from column B. Faith is just that. Knowing I'll do my part and God will do his part. It's not a what have you done for me lately. We have our assignments. And the first assignment, the first mitzvah, doesn't tell you to do anything. It says, Ani Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord your God. That is the first assignment. What is a mitzvah more than an opportunity? And it's the opportunity to know who runs the world. And this is why This is why on the 61st, 62nd, 63rd day of the war, we first declare, we know the war is going to end. There is a new reality. The new reality is for Jews to stop looking outside of themselves and seeing from where they are. Our salvation will come because I tell you, Jewish brothers and sisters, the salvation is coming from you, from your own bellies, from your own intellect, from your own emunashalema, your own knowledge. Don't be like Sally Field at that, that Academy Award when she got up to win. She got up to win the Oscar for Sybil. She was lambasted for years. And she said, they like me, they like me. Look at that, they like me. Let's not do that. Jewish value, Jewish self-confidence, Jewish awareness, Jewish viability does not count on what Trudeau in Canada says. 
or what Joe Biden says or what the UN Organization for Women say. What do you say, Jewish mommy, daddy, grandma, child? We have seen. The truth doesn't matter. But don't be scared. The truth doesn't matter and facts don't matter. The only thing that matters is, oh, this morning Susan Sarandon is apologetic. Okay, good, 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 good. Did a bad thing. Hit her in the pocketbook, didn't it? What matters? What someone with 50,000, 10,000, 11,000 followers thinks, what they tell us is the truth, if we don't know what the truth is, if we don't know who we are, we can let a Susan Sarandon, a Cynthia Nixon, any of those other jerks tell us what the truth is. Lucy Harish, very famous Israeli actor, you know, she, she comes up and she says, she said it so beautifully, she did a, a video, and she said, you know, we were so foolish to believe that after World War II, the world would never forget. Remember, eight weeks ago, the war broke out, and people wrote on my wall, never again. Oh my gosh, my friends, I appreciated the sentiment, but I confess this morning, I cringed. From the flesh pots of Manhattan, you were writing never again, and you had never been to visit Israel. You were writing never again, hoping that your words would bolster you into being a repository of information and fact and faith that would finish this war in six days. Never again. We thought the world would never forget after seeing the horrors of the death camps and the ghettos. That was before internet. The world had an excuse. They really didn't know. But now, if you can hear for a moment, despite the chance of the college intellectuals shouting outside of your windows from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Ad nauseum. You can't say you don't know what's happening in Israel. Whoever says it, what they're really saying is, I don't want to see. I'm not interested in seeing. Seeing this is terribly, terribly inconvenient. Opening my eyes to the brutal images that the terrorists, even that word has become anemic. Terrorists, the Satanists, the barbarians, they, they proudly took those photographs themselves can't blame Reuters. 
They gleefully took pictures of the carnage, the murdering, the butchering, the beheading, the torturing. Not just in innocent civilians. So many of the, was it 1,200, 1,300, 1,400? Holy Jewish souls that were martyred that day were leaders of the peace movement. The movement that swore if only we could sulcha together, sit shoulder to shoulder, smoke a peace pipe, and discuss what unites us rather than what divides us. That's who Zaka is picking up the body parts for. How many, if not those listening in today, but your neighbors who saw the images still choose to say it's a lie. What, what, what is the proof? Yet? What is it exactly that you need? Bigger proof, better proof that women were raped? Human beings were hacked to pieces while they were still alive? And for those of you, not you, holy listeners, but for the, those who sit and come to the conclusion that the butcheries actually did happen in the same breath, they use the word resistant, resistance movement. That's rich. That Hamas is trying to free their people trying to help them achieve. Here's another one. Self-determination. I have to go off script a moment and ask us, when did Jews need help for self-determination? Even in our modern history, we left the ghettos as they were still burning. We worked in factories, not demanding that major civil rights organizations and Sedaka organizations step in. We pulled ourselves up and we became leaders in every area that we endeavored in. Oh, oh, forgive me. I'm back on script. Let's talk more about the perpetual victims. Hamas, you believe it, is trying to free their people, helping them achieve self-determination. And what have these masters of communal liberation done with the monies that you, listening in, Germany, South Africa, Spain, Australia, Canada, Israel, Jamaica, U.S., have so generously poured into them? throughout the years of their moaning, that if only they had the funds, they would establish a wonderful society. Raging against Israeli injustice, do we ask ourselves, what progress was achieved from all that money? Hmm, over the last seven years, you know how much money went in? Pull out the calculators, boys and girls. $16.3 billion 
dollars have been donated to the Palestinian cause. What has your generous support done to make a big difference? As of this morning, December 7th, 2023, there has been no education, no health care, no housing, no sanitation, no electricity, no social welfare, no public transportation, no industry, except the industry of terror. Yep. Please, keep giving. And while we're asking the questions, if you need any more proof, why are the majority of Gazans still living under the weight of abject poverty because of Israel? Israel, the only hope they've ever had. And you know what? It's been a damn good hope at the expense of the holy Israeli people. You ever ask yourself, where's the leadership? Where are these masters of liberation? Why are they living in mansions in other countries, staying in luxury hotels, flying in private jets, living opulent lives? Well, their own people, those who they claim they're anguishing over, are living like mad rats in a maze because of Israel? According to Hamas leadership, I don't have the name right now. I'll have it by the end of the program. If not, I'll get it. I can't remember where I got this quote. Direct quote. The tunnels in the Gaza Strip were built for the protection of Hamas and not for the residents of the Strip. It is the responsibility of the UN to protect them. The self-determination fighters are candidly admitting that they are not, they are only interested in their own agency. Their people are collateral. They mean nothing to them. Shame. Busha. Shame on anyone who doesn't question what is being force fed to them. Shame on you who are not believing the side of righteousness, morality, historically based self reflection. We, the masters of world healing. No. The generation that has taken over the airwaves. This is the generation of TikTok, Instagram, clickbait. Products of lazy think. Unable to apply rational thought to anything that is not spoon-fed to them by any influencer with a following. If this is what our parenting has wrought, if this is the result of a lifetime of privilege and distancing ourselves from our Jewish legacy, and shame on us.
And may God bless those who at least take today, start today to grow humble and commit to accessing only the truth. Even when, no, no, especially when that truth is inconvenient. You have to excuse me one moment. I must have a sip of water. Hold on one second. I don't have the water in front of me. I'm leaning. Wait. Thank goodness. This is a fully equipped studio. Yes. I'm back with you. Okay. Ha. Huh. A little past here. All right. Here we go. Somebody posted this. Let me just make sure. I want to order. He's good. Somebody posted this. I keep getting asked. I wrote an article recently. I totally lost my list. Forgive me, everybody. I lost my list of those who want to be, um, who want to receive monthly articles from me. Please just um, send me, send me. I'll get it together, I promise. Um, send me an email, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and just write in the subject line, um, article, articles, okay? That's all, and I'll put you on, and I'll send you my monthly article. And one of my monthly, art, my last monthly article was, um, talks about what it, what it feels like to live here. But I could not do it better if I did not read to you something that somebody posted and it does a much better job than I could, but here it goes. I don't know who the original author is. If anybody listening in from Israel knows who the author is, please drop me a note. Here we go. And I call it, if you live here, and I know that you're interested because you're listening in. If you live here, you know what it is to wake up every morning carrying the collective exhaustion of an entire country in your heart. And to know that every man, woman, and child in the country is waking up feeling exactly the same way. If you live here, you know what it is to send your children off for the day with an extra hug and lingering look. Because the reminder that we never know when life could change in an instant became all too real overnight. If you live here, you know what it is to have to force yourself to stop refreshing the morning news and start your day. If you live here, you know what it is to need that second cup of coffee in order to even attempt to get to work. If you live here, you know what it is to drive your kids to school and breathe a sigh of relief when you see men in uniform guarding the school gate. If you live here, you know what it is to feel the mixture of pride and worry as you drive through the streets of your neighborhood and see the flags hanging from the porches and the billboards proclaiming, together we will win, and Am Yisrael Chai, everywhere we go. If you live here, you know what it is to feel confused, a little disoriented at the grocery store because all of the usual staff is changed and you don't recognize the cashiers anymore you live here, you know what it is to see shuttered businesses throughout town because the owners are off fighting a war. 
If you live here, you know what it is to not be able to find the fruits and vegetables you're looking for since nobody is there to work the fields and there's no supply. You know what it is to hesitate before planning any sort of personal celebration since you aren't sure if it's appropriate and your heart just isn't into it. But at the same time, you know, you know that life goes on and we have to appreciate it. If you live here, you know what it is to hold the pages of names of soldiers to pray for in your hands and to recognize every family name on the list because they're all members of your immediate community. If you live here, you know what it is to have to rethink so much of what you had planned for the year because there are so many reasons why these plans are just no longer relevant. If you live here, you know what it is to stand and line the streets in the pouring rain to support your neighbors as they drive to bury their son who died keeping us safe. If you live here, you know what it is to be able to communicate with others, whether friends or strangers, with a sympathetic smile and slight nod, neither one saying a word. If you live here, you know what it is to see people from other countries posting on social media about travel plans and everyday events and wonder how their reality can be so different from yours. If you live here, you know what it is to hold your breath collectively. It's the entire country waiting for that news update every night. You know what it is to know that you slept but also to remember being half awake all night and to feel like you didn't sleep at all. You know what it is to feel safer here than anywhere else in the world. If you live here, you know what it feels like when everyone is looking out for each other and that you are part of one giant national family. If you live here, you know it's the greatest privilege in the world. You're part of something so special that really, there are simply no words to describe it. That's if you live here. What's happening in America? I, I don't even know. Yesterday, I saw two videos, two astounding videos. I would be hard pressed to believe that anybody listening hasn't seen them. Um, you know what? I'm going to have the producer remind me to post these links to these two videos. I believe it was Senate hearings discussing with the presidents of three Ivy League universities in America to ask about the safety of their Jewish students. And these are positively astounding. I also had the merit, the beautiful merit to see a video um, with a question. It was a question and non-answer session with um, Representative John James, who I sheepishly admit I did not know who he was prior to that. So it was astounding stuff. But, you know, America, when my father's father came to America, leaving behind in Russia for a short period, a pregnant wife, 
to come to the Golden of Medina to establish a new home free of violent, of violent anti-Semitism. He thought he was safe. I'm saying it now. America is no longer your safe haven, friends. If those of us who made Aliyah before you understood that it was merely a host culture, let me clue you in on something right now. The hosts are getting tired. Because when the presidents of Ivy League universities breaking their teeth, I have to tell you, I do have, I do have a, I do have a mouth like a stevedore. I am have been known to use foul language occasionally, and that's why being behind this microphone is very good for my soul. It really teaches me to behave myself. But when the presidents of Ivy League universities breaking their teeth with political correctness can't simply say, "Yeah, we have a problem on our campuses," and they can't even sympathize with frightened Jewish students locked in libraries, when they can find excuses for the violent crowds calling for the genocide of the Jews and calling it free speech, you wonder how Hitler rose to power? Please, don't say that it's too far-fetched. It's today, it's Thursday morning. We've been there so many times throughout our history. And every single time we would say, don't worry, we're living in modern times. They would never come after us because we live in Spain. We live in Germany. We live in Russia. We live in the free spirited, the warmth, the bosom of hospitality in our Arab countries. The writing is on the wall. Never again. Again is this morning. What kind of a world? When you have something negative to say against the people that totally peppered the best in your lives, with cutting-edge medical medicine, top-drawer entertainment, country-saving finance, research, development. But there's still a group of assholes in every generation that want to wipe us out. Don't fear. God keeps his promise. But know who you are. Do not cower. Light the light. Okay, we are looking at the clock. We're going to talk about Arabs not wanting. Hold on. Let me see if there's anything. Before we go to the Devar Torah section, there's so many things I wanted to share with you. Let me see. Um, I did get a message here. Oh, yeah. One, I, I just have to tell you. Again, the civilians, the innocent civilians in Gaza. Oh, no, the innocent civilians. Stop. 
Just stop. Every child's death, every what you perceive to be an innocent injury, there is one address for every additional band-aid or burial in Gaza. And that address is Hamas. Don't question, don't wring your hands, don't go to your Instagram and check out and see what they think. You're smarter than that. Israeli forces are taking massive risks to avoid harming Gaza civilians. And I wanna say one thing here, and I have to be so careful. I'm going to be careful. We talked last week, the week before, of having skin in the game. My son, my son is sleeping in mud, going on missions, putting his life in abject danger. And I'm only the voice of one mother. I know there are tens, hundreds of thousands of Israeli mothers and mothers overseas, mothers of lone soldiers and daddies who have children that as we speak are fighting not just for their lives, but for our lives. I am no longer crying over innocent civilians in Gaza. That was 16.3 billion dollars ago. When Hamas starts crying, maybe I'll listen. I'll go try to find a Hamas influencer who speaks from a moral platform. Okay, Hanukkah. All right, we have a lot to do. Let's look. Oh my gosh, this week, we're back to the blueprint, back to our holy Kodesh blueprint. If you haven't been to synagogue in years, this is the Shabbos you want to go to shul. Find your local synagogue, find your local Torah-centric Orthodox synagogue and go to shul. But the least you can do tomorrow night, Motzi Shabbos, I mean, uh, Leil Shabbat, light Shabbos candles. Light your two candles or four candles or however many you do and light another two for the women hostages who still cannot light their candles. I want to talk and tell you that this week's Parsha is called Vayeshev. And there's a difference. There is a difference, to put it mildly, um, between Joseph and his brothers in this week's Parsha. Yosef, he's the quintessential dreamer. He's such a Jew. Who are we? We're people of the dream. We dream it, it is. We having a little Herzl in there? His head is in the stars, and he's youthful. He's exuberance. Certainly the truthful outcome of his dream becomes very, very irritating to his brothers. You know, but with his head in the clouds in a world of Esav and Shechem, the brothers feel that he really is the embodiment of impracticality if not even irresponsibility to be a dreamer. Who has the luxury to dream? You're herding cattle. You're herding the sheep. 
what you what you bring home is what you eat that day. The brothers have their feet firmly planted in the ground in a reality of the world in which they exist. Clear recognition of the inherent dangers and threats that surround them. Joseph? Yosef? He feels that the brothers have been unfair in rejecting his dreams immediately. And they, in turn, are convinced that he and his dreaming, in fact, creates a danger to the unity and the survival of their family. It's not only just the contents of his dreams, which seem a little arrogant, he's going to dominate the family, that disturb the brothers. It's just the fact that his dreaming raises their suspicions and fuels their distrust toward him. It's a difficult Torah portion. It's very difficult. I struggle a great deal with Yosef's understanding of his role in God's scheme. He's speaking a language that is until that point, never spoken in the world. And it comes off as arrogant, so self-centered. In that struggle between Yosef and his brothers, the conflict between the lofty and the inspirational theories of Judaism and the sometimes just the, the mundane practices of hope and actual reality what can be achieved, even though it's not exactly what one dreams of achieving? That conflict between Yosef and his brothers never really ends. It's compromised by both sides recognizing the validity of their respective positions. The Jewish people, in our long and difficult history, we sometimes have to, we must, our existence depends on combining the spirit and the dreams of Yosef with this brutal, well, with brutal realism of the brothers. Both traits are necessary for our survival and our accomplishments as both a nation and individuals. You know, when you take a look at the Magan David, the Jewish star, one point goes straight up to heaven, head in the clouds. That's where we're supposed to be. But the other point hits the ground, must be embedded in reality. Someone without dreams and ambition who refuses to reach heavenward and conquer the stars, that's never going to be a totally creative person. But if this drive is not tempered with a realistic sense of what's going on around us and the society that surrounds us. All of our dreams, they're doomed to disappoint us. Yosef, his dreams are realized only after he's been severely chastened by his brothers, by his brother's rage, by his brother's determinations to enslave him, to imprison him in Egypt. And even after he seemingly has them in his grasp, as we will see, it's a contest of wills. Yeah. The dreams of Yosef, they do get realized. They are realized. But only after so many years of brutal reality, the brothers who remain realists to the end, they're shocked 
to discover that indeed the dreamer triumphs. The dreamer saves the world from famine while the realists end up being his customers, the clients. Here, the Torah is teaching us, by Rabbi Wine brings this down, I think it's Rabbi Wine, brings down that we need both dreamers and realists within our ranks, must be all part of the same glorious, colorful, and sometimes discordant tapestry. A nation that's built exclusively on dreams without practical reality intruding is going to find that reality, is going to find that their reality rises to only collapse. But a nation that ceases to dream, to dream of reaching greater heights, the way Israel does every single day, is a nation that's going to stagnate. We won't survive. So both the brothers and Yosef are correct in their desire to build a nation and to build a spiritual nation. We need a healthy dose of both values and views in our Jewish world today as well. And if that is not food for Shabbos thought, I don't know what it is. You know, um, just looking at this here, where are we going? Oh my gosh, forgive me a moment. Is this show like not too real? One second. Yeah. You know, the strongest indictment of Yosef's brothers having sat down to eat after acting so viciously towards Yosef is found in Midrash Tehillim uh, and is cited by Rabbeinu Bachia, okay? The Midrash suggests that the Jewish people came very close to paying a tremendous price for the insensitivity to Yosef's suffering exhibited by the brothers. Remember, he's in the pit, he's screaming. Who could eat? Who could digest their food? As somebody is screaming and praying, save me, save me. So according to this Midrash, God seemingly says to the 10 brothers, you sold your brothers? You sold your brother and then you sat down to eat? There's gonna come a time when your descendants will be sold in the midst of a feast. This was, um, in fact, a strict example of mida kaneged mida, what we say measure for measure, and that it is in the time of Mordechai and Queen Esther, after Haman and King Ahasuerus, they resolved to exterminate the Jews of Persia. What did they do? They sat down together to have a drink. Israel is under siege. And while so many Jews around the world are agonizingly aware of the precarious position that we are in this morning, to a large extent, many others, I'm, I'm sometimes stunned. You know, I go on Facebook and I know that these are nice people. If only they knew the insensitivity or the, what I perceive as an insensitivity as I see them attending the theater, vacationing, eating, drinking. There are some who every now and then um, look up like Yosef's brothers did and they, they perk up their ears to see or hear what's going on over in our corner of the world or 
even, you know, they may even be holding discussions and debates to decide what role the Jewish state plays in their lives and how indeed Israeli Jews might be connected to them. You know, following the sale of Yosef, the Torah tells us that Yehuda, from whom we are named, Yehudim, Judah, the brothers demoted him from his important position. When they saw the anguish of their father, Yaakov, and they said, you advised us to sell him, meaning Yosef. Had you advised us to return him, we would have listened to you. Um, many, many years ago, my gosh, it must be, was, maybe it was more than 30 years ago, in a very powerful shear in the young Israel of Oceanside, Rabbi Blech, Rabbi Benjamin Blech, he gave a very interesting explanation as to the significance of that episode with Yehuda and Tamar. Remember, Tamar was his daughter-in-law who was twice widowed by his sons and was child childless. I'm just giving you a brief synopsis. And she tricked Yehuda into impregnating her so she could indeed birth from the seed of this righteous family. And at first, you know, he would have, an, he, he didn't have to admit it. But when speaking of Tamar, Yehuda ultimately acknowledges publicly, she is more righteous than I. Or as Rashi and others explain this, de- this declaration, she is righteous. The child is from me. The Torah is letting us know that Yehuda learned his lesson from his earliest failure in the case of Yosef to lead and assume the necessary level of responsibility. But later, in the case of Tamar, Yehuda was prepared to take responsibility and be accountable for his actions. Just stay with me a sec. All right. Oh, boy. You know, there's an incredible reality right in front of us. As I said at the beginning of the program, it's hard not to despair. One of the shows we called Forgetting to Remember. It's critical. Critical that we remember what we know. That one light. Because the fact is, it makes sense to be despondent. We're surrounded with enemies who seek seek our in- annihilation. Jews from every country that's listening in this morning, Jews in your country are the targets of increasing Jew loathing. There was just a meeting in the Oakland City Council, I think it was this past week, that defended, excused, glorified Hamas. Was that Oakland, California? Accusing Israel of killing its own people for public relations gain. This board sympathized with terrorists. You know what? How can we not feel hopeless? How can we long for Long for that redemption. And so many in this world seem irredeemable. Irredeemable. You know, according to Rabbi Goldberg, 
there's so much that we can get to glean from the holiday of Hanukkah. Not an accident. Can't come at a better time. Hanukkah is defined by our sense of sight. The candles are sacred. We don't have permission. We cannot read by the Hanukkah candles. We can't use it to cook, to play dreidel. Their entire purpose is to be looked at. This is a very, we have a very unique halacha on Hanukkah, Jewish law. The Talmud tells us, and the Shulchan Aruch uh, records. Um, one who can't light for himself or herself, but sees the candles lit by someone else, nevertheless, still makes the second bracha um, of Sha'asan Nisim Lavoseinu, to bring these miracles to us. When I see, you know, when we see someone putting on tefillin, taking a lulav or blowing a shofar, I don't make a bracha. Do you make a bracha? When you, do you make a bracha when you see someone else eating an apple? Only on Hanukkah do we make a bracha when seeing someone else perform the mitzvah. Why is that? Rabbi Yitzchak, um, Rabbi Yitzchak of Berdichev, he tells us that Hanukkah is indeed the holiday of seeing. The different, um, the different, the different acts, I'm, I'm translating here from the Hebrew, they, co- they correspond with our different senses. On Purim, okay, our hearing is heightened. We listen to the Megillah. On Pesach, it's our sense of taste sharpened when we eat the matzah and the moror, the bitter herbs. On Hanukkah, we evaluate our sense of sight, testing how well we see. According to Rabbi Goldberger, it's kind of it's kind of uh, Rabbi Goldberger. It's kind of uh, a paradox. We sometimes feel that seeing is believing. If I can perceive and observe it, it's true. If I can't, it's not real. So, following this rule. We have dismissed and disregarded the most precious truths and realities in our lives. Ideas, feelings, thoughts, and dreams that are authentic, genuine, despite the fact that they can't be seen or observed. That's the whole idea behind the mitzvot. We don't do a commandment because it makes sense. We do a commandment because it's a commandment. You know, we're only here. The only reason Jews exist today is because throughout our history, we have refused to see only the surface. Instead, we employ a, let's call it a supernatural vision, a capacity to see beyond, to dream what would be. In many ways, we're all Yosef. The truth is one can live with their eyes open, have perfect vision, and still be blind. On the other hand, it can be pitch black all around us. And yet a person can see absolutely clearly. You know, during the story of Hanukkah, the Hashmonaim, our heroes, They didn't just see the physical reality. Listen in. Their numbers were so few. 
their army was very weak. The task was impossible. They saw the hand of God. They saw the obligation to fight. And they saw that divine protection would accompany them. We have been charged throughout history as a people that do not simply look at what is in front of us. If we had, oh my gosh, we would have given up a long time ago. Jews have always faced impossible odds. We've always faced impossible challenges. Jews, and still, we've succeeded in in holding on to our hope, our optimism, because we choose to have vision instead of sight, imagination, constantly accompanied with thoughts of what can be instead of mere observation. You know, what if Moshe Rabbeinu looked at the might of the Egyptian empire and was too scared to say to Paro, let my people go. What if the Maccabees, who were the Maccabees? They weren't working out in Jacqueline Gym. They were yeshiva bachers. They were plain Jewish boys who studied. What if they only considered the facts and never revolted against the Greek oppressors? What if Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai simply observed the power of Vespasian and never asked for the city of Yavne and its sages? No. Let's bring it up to date. Rabbi Goldberg reminds me, what if in 1948, in 1967, the brave powerful, rife with vision, men and women of Israel had conceded that the chances of overcoming the many nations, those who raged against us, it was just impossible. All over Israel, wherever you go, there are signs and not just signs in not religious neighborhoods, not just signs in the supermarkets and the banks. They are signs in the ultra-Orthodox enclaves of those who have been charged as not doing part in the state. And the signs say, with unity we will win, the people of eternity will be victorious. Oh no, we will not look at the odds. We will not look at the numbers. We must not look at the likely outcomes. We must not be intimidated or scared by stories of how long we can afford this war. We are the people of forever, the people of eternity. Our vision is different. We believe in what will be, 
because God said so. Nobody will convince us of what is If you look on the surface, there's lots of fear right now. But in the last almost nine weeks, if you look a little closer, if you wear your Hanukkah glasses, you're going to take a look and see. We have merited to view things that our people have never seen before. Our vision is to be a united people, to become fulfilled. The dream of a spiritual awakening is taking place, and there is hope for a resurgence of connection to our homeland from Jews all around the world. It's happening now. When Hanukkah comes tonight, take a time. Don't just light candles, but look at them. Gaze at them. Use that light and dispel all of the darkness. Allow it to light up your life. And with your 2020 spiritual Jewish vision, feel at the core of your being that united the people of eternity will prevail. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from light-lit Jerusalem. Hanukkah Sameach.